Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss the beloved Steam's new Steam Deck portable console. You're going to love it. It's amazing, and it's got a Ryzen APU. So we're also going to discuss what the heck is an APU anyways, because I've seen that question a lot during this announcement. There's a lot of confusion out there with CPUs, GPUs, and now APUs. In this episode, we're going to clear it all up for you. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss old turned digital or digital looking old. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Attic starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, you better have some. I man. do. Ooh, I okay. did stuff, sort of. So my brother needed a computer to do something, and he didn't want to spend a lot of money, so it was like an appliance type of thing. And I thought, you know... Obviously, a Raspberry Pi is a choice that fits here. Is there something I can do that kind of have like an all-in-one solution that I could say, hey, get this and you're good to go? So I went on and got a a Kana kit, Kana kit. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say it, but it's essentially a kit of the Raspberry Pi that comes with a case, uh, SD card, the cables and the power supply and all that stuff to kind of just have one thing you buy and you have everything that you need. So I said, okay, here, get this. And he, he gets it and opens it and says, hey, could you put this together for me? So, nice. so like, okay, sure, I could do that. So I get the uh, the Kana kit from him and I start working on it and all that. And I then it, it comes with heat sinks and it's got a fan in the case because he got the uh, eight gig version of the Raspberry Pi. So as, you know, just to assume, like, I don't know how much he's going to push it. Probably not at all. He's probably not going to push it anywhere near to actually make it need those things. But I figured I'd put them all on there just in case, because why not? And uh, it was actually pretty easy to put together, like very simple. Like the, the, the document, it came with like this uh, guide that showed you, it had a booklet and a manual, but it also had like this postcard that showed you all the GPIO pins and what like what they what they're numbered and what order and what goes to what, like which one's a voltage and which one is what. Like it was really, nice. yeah, it's really nice that they had this bro- broken down. And I think that these this kind of kit is fantastic for someone who's never used a Pi before because they could get started really easily. What I like about these Raspberry Pi kits is, number one, they get Linux in pretty much everyone's home. And they're selling them everywhere. I was in Micro Center this week, and I saw a whole section. They have a whole back wall that's completely dedicated to the Raspberry Pi and all the different components That's and cool. hats and things that you can put and connect to this device. And it just shows the popularity of this little sock board. And uh, it, it's just, I'm so amazed at the things that people are capable of doing with Raspberry Pis. And if you've not gotten one yourself yet, I'm telling you, you can't have just one. It's like a Lay's potato chip. You have to have three, <laughs> four five Raspberry Pis because you keep finding new cool things you can do with it from home automation to being a little server, even a mini little computer. 
that you can just have for your kids. It's yeah. really an endless, awesome opportunity piece of hardware and very simple to put together and build. You don't even really have to put anything together, right? You could just run it with the, the bare uh, chip system out there of course you know if you spill something or whatever it could hurt it you don't have to put it in the case yeah you don't so there's just so many it. options for this little device well for sure and what's what's cool about that they're going to use it as a kiosk so it's going to be like a little computer but it's also going to be like for a kiosk purpose and this is an inch is like a fantastic solution to be able to have a computer that they can have like all in the simple form and kind of like there but not taking up too much space but still being powerful enough to do what they need to do. And the Raspberry Pi kit that I got has all the stuff that you would need. If you, you wouldn't really need the case necessarily. Sure. But the, when you go for the eight gig Ram one, there are some reports of it kind of overheating a little bit. So it's nice that this case has a built-in fan and all you do is just plug the, the connectors to the GPIO pins and it tells you which ones to use. It even tells you if you're, you know, if you don't need that much uh, fan speed, you're not doing. You're not pushing it too far. It tells you which one to do the lower voltage and stuff. It's it's a really nice package, and I think that. So this reminds me, though, Michael, of a video I saw one time where someone was trying to say the heat sinks on a Raspberry Pi don't work, and they put a heat sink on the chip, and then took a laser thermometer and said, "Well, they laser thermometered the chip while it was running, and it came whatever degrees." And then they shot the same laser thermometer at the heat sink once they put it on, and it was the same degrees or a little bit hotter. And they're like, see, it doesn't work. <laughs> what well, like, takes the heat off of it? That's, that's what it's the whole <laughs> point. That's the point of yeah. heat sink. Even I know that part. <laughs> yeah. So, Wendy, what have you been up to? Well, I got my hands on a pine phone, nice. a pine tab, and I've ordered my pine time. Nice. Well, I ordered my pine time as well, Wendy. Me so we're too. We're both going to have pie time, synchronized pine time. No, well, this, we're all three yeah. going to have pine times. So you too. No yeah, way. we're gonna we're gonna be able to do like <laughs> the synchronized watches things, and we're gonna we're gonna actually do like what's that? What's that? Wonder Twins powers. That's it. That's it. We're gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And <laughs> Wendy, for people who don't know, what is the pine time? Why is this so exciting in your mind? One of the things that I absolutely love about this little piece of hardware is like the Pine phone, like the Pine tab, like Pine book, they are all open hardware and there's so much software that you can put on these. These devices are amazingly priced. The watch to get it to my door, I think was right around $35, including shipping. It's really not much at all. And I'm super curious as to how the different sensors on this one will act. If you heard me talk about it on Extend, you know that it's not anywhere near as far as developed software-wise as the other watch that I'm currently wearing. And I wear a smartwatch all the time. I've wore a smartwatch consistently pretty much every day for the last six years. I have been a smartwatch user. And it's because I hate having the volume turned up on my phone. I don't right. want it making noise. I want to be able to be detached from that device and then have my wrist buzz. And if it's something that needs to be taken care of, I can take care of. And if not, my phone is not constantly glued to me all the time. So that's one reason why I absolutely love smart devices like that. This one is even better because now it is open hardware 
And I can't say, I cannot wait to see where the software goes and maybe it will replace the other watch that I'm wearing eventually as my everyday, not only notification watch, but the watch that I wear to help track my workouts. And it's such a great price. It's $26.99 plus $11 or something for shipping yep. that you'll pay. And if you compare that to, you know, an Apple watch or something like that, you're starting in the $399 range or somewhere close to that price. So, I mean, this is a very inexpensive watch. So, and it's community driven. And we talked about this in Destination Linux episode 236 just recently, 240 by 240 IPS capacitive touch display course, any open source operating system. So this is community driven for all the projects and things they want to include on this. You've got things like Bluetooth 5. You have health tracking for step counting, heart rate detection, wrist vibration, quick glance via lift to wake and features like that all for 27 bucks. So if you've not checked out Pine 64 to order a Pine time, you need to because I'm pretty sure they're going to sell out really fast if they haven't already. I'm very excited about the health capabilities of this watch. I love the ability for the smartwatch that I have now, which is the Apple watch that does regular rhythm notifications, blood oxygen levels, ECG capabilities. And it does all of this in a very fascinating way. You know, they use clusters of green and red and infrared LEDs, and you'll see them at times light up on your watch underneath your watch. And these photodiodes on the back crystal measure the light that's reflecting back from your blood. And that's how it's able to detect these different things that are going on. So now you have the, the pine time. And obviously, I don't expect they're going to have that type of technology in it yet. However, we know that pine also eventually comes out usually with pro versions and things like that. And the health stuff's what I'm really interested in. And it's the one thing, like I mentioned on the show, that Apple actually open sources. So it is something where the community could maybe take some of the work done from Apple and include it in this watch in time. But at least you got the heart rate detection uh, as a starting point for this $26 watch. And usually that's the main thing that I need in a workout. I want it to track my heart rate through it and then have a total workout time. There's most watches will have settings of you can set it for each specific workout. Most of the time it's weightlifting and then I'm moving into cardio and I don't want to stop every single time to say I'm doing this action now. I just set it for the whole time. So I have a heart rate map of the entire workout and have a total time that I was doing those activities. That's really all I need. I don't need it to tell me what I was doing at each moment of the workout. I think this is going to be a really interesting experiment too, because we're all three getting the pine times each from an a different level of experience where Wendy's had a smartwatch for a long time and Ryan's had one for a fair, like a good, good amount of time. And I've had one for almost no time and I've used it maybe three times ever. So there's going to be an all different range of spectrum of like experiences with the pine time. So I think this is going to be a, a fun little you know, review, I guess. I yeah, think I'm going to use mine simultaneously with the smartwatch that I'm already You're wearing. You're going to double watch it like an I'm gonna, kid? I'm going to totally geek it out <laughs> and I'm going to double watch it so the Pine Time will be connected to the Pine phone and then the current smartwatch I'm using is connected to my Motorola phone and I'm just curious to see how they can pair as far as data at the end of a day, the end of a workout. Just curious to see Very how it cool. works. 
You know, I'm going to double watch it too. And if anybody makes fun of me, I'll be like, Wendy does it and she's cool. So shut up. <laughs> so there you go. Well, this week I had a very special moment. One of those moments where tears fell down my eye. I got geek chills. I was just over the moon. I looked like a little kid jumping around in a store because I went to Micro Center. And the whole way up, I'm crap talking the lack of GPUs. The fact there's no GPUs. And my wife keeps saying, come on, have faith. And I'm like, that's stupid. It's been a year and a half. There's no faith to be left. There's never any stock anywhere. So I go in with my poor attitude into Micro Center. And one of these nice individuals comes up and they're like, hey, can I help you find anything? I'm like, you guys don't have GPUs, right? He's like, well, actually I do. So he takes me over and there in this beautiful box is a power color Hellhound AMD Radeon RX 6700 XT. Nice. And I brought it home with me. And so I haven't put it in my system because it currently takes the spot where my wife used to sleep on the bed. But <laughs> no, it's easy. I, ins- I installed this beautiful card. It- it's absolutely amazing. It's got 12 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM. It's PCIe 4.0, of course. And this uses the new RDNA 2 architecture. The card is stupid fast, ridiculous. In 2K, just as a, because obviously I'll do a video on this, just as kind of a beginning test here, I was, I installed Doom, the 2016, put all the settings on high. I'm in 2K and I enter into the first world at 200 frames per second. That was the limiter I had. So I actually think it will go more. And it was just hitting 200 consistently throughout. So this is just an amazing beast of a card. But the funniest thing, perhaps, is the fact that I put it in a Leon Lee TU-150. And if you know how big these new cards are, I had to take everything out of the case and do this kind of special angle where I put the <laughs> butt of the card in at the top and then kind of wiggled the, the front of the card into the side a little bit and somehow was able to finally maneuver this card into the TU-150. So if you have a question of can you fit... <laughs> a giant 6700 XT into a TU-150 case. I don't think you're supposed to, but I did. He's like, well, and the answer is kind of. Kind of. Kind of works. Is that the, the Leon lunchbox? Leon Lee lunchbox, yeah. That's yeah. What you call the lunchbox. And it's amazing how small it is and the fact that the, that the majority of the entire case is now full with just one video card. Well, why don't you just send it to me because it sounds like your case is too small. I've got this monster of a case right here under my <laughs> desk. It can take it. It's okay. Yeah, I, I I would, Wendy, but, you know, I'm kind of using it for now, but I'll think about it for sure. Uh, the good news is, though, you might be able to get one yourself because the folks at Micro Center were telling me that the cards are finally starting to really come in stock and they're able to keep them there. And I assume if cryptocurrency uh, doesn't shoot up, if Bitcoin doesn't shoot up anytime soon, we'll have some good luck there with getting some cards. And if the scalpers finally have gotten bored, uh, perhaps you'll be able to, everyone will be out there, will be able to get a GPU soon. So there's some good news for you. That is good news. Some more good news is that this episode of Hardware is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBAAS, or as I like to refer to it as DBAAS. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building high scalable performance apps 
and less on maintaining the database of those apps. You simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean, and you let them handle everything from the provisioning, the managing, the scaling, the updates, and the security of your clusters. And DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you will get access to all of the latest releases of MongoDB's document database as they become available. And as a listener of Hardware Addict's podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free. Because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash dln-mongo. Again, that's do.co slash dln-mongo to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, I know my friends here, Wendy and Michael, are as excited as I am. I don't even know where to begin. The The excitement is overwhelming, almost as exciting as getting my hands on the GPU. I mean, if it was already out, it would be just as exciting. Well, it's not out yet. Right. But I did pre-order this. I know you pre-ordered it, Michael. Have you pre-ordered a Steam Deck yet, Wendy? No. No, I have not. Shame. <gasps> where's the, sh- where's the bell of shame? We need a bell of shame on this show. I'm ordering a bell of shame. <laughs> Are you going to get yourself one? Are you going to pre-order after the show? I I honestly don't know if I will. And it's not because I don't think it's absolutely amazing looking hardware. It's that I don't game enough to feel that it's worth it for me to spend the money. For shame, Wendy. For shame. Well, Valve, for those who don't know what we're talking about, has announced the Steam Deck Portable Linux gaming system. Steam Deck brings the Steam games, your entire Steam library, and features that you love into a portable handheld machine that doesn't run Windows, doesn't run Mac OS, not some form of Android. No, no, my friends. It runs Arch. It runs Arch. Of course. Oh, by the way, it runs Arch. It runs Arch. Uh, Steam Deck is amazing for so many reasons. Uh, Obviously, this is going to be a huge boost to Proton and the amount of game developers out there that are going to make sure that their games run on Proton. I'm even hearing rumors today about the game Rust doing some work to make sure that this their game will be ready to run in Proton. And Rust traditionally, I think, removed their support originally for Linux they back did. in the day. Yeah, they said it was, too, it was too buggy, and they didn't have time to fix it, and they just stopped working on it. And then uh, a lot of people in the Linux community who were using Rust stopped playing Rust, and now it seems like they could get it back thanks to Proton, which that sounds awesome. So some people have said, you know, oh, this is going to hurt Linux gaming because they said the same thing about Proton when it first came out, that that was going to happen, and it didn't. We have just as many independent games coming out for Linux as we did before. They're now saying it again that because the Steam and Valve is basically saying to the developers, hey, don't freak out. Don't worry about having to rewrite your game. Just make sure it works in Proton and we're good. I think that's the smart move for them to do, number one, because they want it to be as easy as possible for all the game companies to port their games there. They don't want to create a situation where the game companies have to spend, have to decide if they want to spend tens of thousands of dollars and work hours to port their game when they can just validate that everything's going to work on Proton. And Gabe's basically making the claim that their goal is to have every single game that runs on Windows today working on the Steam Deck by the time it releases. Yeah, that that is mind-blowing. That makes no sense to me, but it's awesome. But at the same time, it's like when I first switched to Linux, I wasn't 
it, I, I knew that I wouldn't have games. And then all of a sudden, you know, years later, the Valve decides to embrace Linux and we started getting games. At no point did I think, yeah, we're going to be able to run all these games at, at some point, regardless, no problem. But the, for the fact that they announced that, it's a huge statement. And I can't wait to play the, to, one, use the Steam Deck to play the games that I already own, but also be able to get other games that uh, wouldn't normally be able to be playing because of like AAA companies typically wouldn't bother to make those games work. And now with Proton, we get it thanks to Valve. Allegedly. this I think this is a really, really big promise. And so I'm not saying that they can't do it. I'm just saying that this is a massive promise and it may not happen as quickly as they're saying it. No, they they did actually push back the release dates of the of the devices because of the availability and how many people wanted it. They originally thought, okay, we're going to have a bit, you know, a push out, we're going to get the the console the the handheld console out. People are going to, you know, we're going to have this amount ready and they'll order it. And then I think like three times more people ordered it or something like that. And they were like, oh, we don't have that many to have to, you know, okay, we're going to have to just push it back. So I know someone who said that they were, they waited two days to pre-order theirs and they were mad at themselves for not doing it immediately because they, they now have to wait until quarter three of 2022. Like, mm-hmm. eh? Think about the sheer amount of transaction Steam handles yeah, a day. for sure. And the fact that when this was announced and it became available for pre-order, their site crashed the entire day to the point where me and Michael and all of the Destination Linux creators were all freaking out in chat like, I can't get mine. I can't get my (laughs) pre-order. I tried for like an hour and a half before I finally got through. And and we finally all got through that day. And it's lucky we did that day, but you can still pre-order. You're just going to be in a later batch because like Michael was saying, they've basically run out, which shows you the popularity of this. And it's because it's not just a gaming device. So some people may go, I'm not interested in gaming. I don't even care. But you can actually use this as a full PC. You can dock it. And then you've got the full desktop experience of KDE. And you've got all the power of Arch Linux right there for a full operating system. So if you want to take this on a trip with you, you've got your work computer, but you want to play computer as well, and you want to just plug it into the hotel television as your monitor, you could do that, or you could, of course, use it right from the screen that it has, because it comes with, uh, you you can purchase a dock for it. And these are just some of the amazing things that you can do with this device. And the price, the starting point is insane to me. $399 starting point. When I saw Gabe talk about this starting point, you could tell he swallowed at that moment hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, this hurts me a little bit. <laughs> we figured out how to be $399. I think they're pretty much selling that very close to cost at that point. And then you, it goes up to $649. It depends on the storage and the type of um, amount of storage. And I think the $649 comes with a additional coating on the screen. Yeah, uh, and, and in a case and some things, some additional items with it. But the cool thing is that this also meets our qualifications for repairability because you can upgrade if you got the 399 and you want more storage, you can upgrade it yourself because it uses a 2230 M2, which means it's you could just swap out the 512 gigabyte that you want in there afterwards, which is just insane. Yeah, that's awesome. In addition, this has a custom AMD APU, kind of similar, a lot of people are saying, to probably what a PlayStation 4 would have inside of it. It's a four-core, eight-thread 
2.4 to 3.5 gigahertz up to 448 G flops and a GPU that's eight RDNA two architecture uh, CUs and that can go up to 1.6 teraflops. So again, probably about the power of a PlayStation 4 in a handheld, which is quite impressive. The APU power is only 4 to 15 watts, so they're definitely taking advantage of that RDNA 2 technology there. You got 16 gigabytes of LP DDR5 RAM. You got HD haptics, a 7-inch 1280 by 800, 16 by 10 aspect ratio, touchscreen, dual trackpads, 400 nits typical. Two to eight hours of gameplay on the battery, USB-C with Display Port 1.4 alt mode support, up to 8K at 60 hertz or 4K at 120 hertz. And of course, you have Bluetooth peripheral ready and an official docking station for this device. All in all, I'm pretty blown away by this hardware here. I mean, this, this eats a switch for lunch here on so many levels. Number one, being able to upgrade it yourself. Number two, the whole library of Steam games you've already purchased being available in every game on the Switch. I mean, I have one I know is like 50, 60 bucks. So having Steam and the Steam sales and the capability of that portability and then being able to have a full PC. Yes, you can hook a keyboard and mouse to a Switch, but you're still just on Switch, right? You're still just on a gaming platform. It just means you can play Fortnite with a keyboard and mouse. <laughs> this is going to give you the ability to use it as a full PC. Big difference there. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the the being able to use it as a computer is so impressive. And the idea of this was it, you know, I'm not typically the hardware person on this on the show or otherwise, obviously, uh, we, you know, I'm referred to as the hardware Padawan. But this is one of the times where I went all out and got the highest uh, tier of the Look Steam Deck. Look at you. Yeah. I, I didn't even go highest tier. I went mid tier. Yeah, I, I I couldn't wow. help it. I had to go all the way there, and it's like I'm I'm gonna be the the uh, the non Padawan. I'll be the Jedi for this one. Look at you, man. I don't know. We might have to change his title, Wendy, but probably not. Probably not. Might. Just this this yeah. is just an exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wendy, I hope that you change your mind. It, it's really sad to see a friend fall behind in the technology <laughs> world so severely. <laughs> And you go and pre-order yourself a Steam Deck. It's 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 frankly embarrassing, but you could fix this, Wendy, with one click in Steam. Five dollar. <laughs> one click. You could fix Gosh, this. Gosh dang it! If I hadn't bought that car, then I'd totally get one. I mean, I would I would give the car up and <laughs> just <laughs> buy one of these. Honestly. So one of the things I saw a lot of people asking about when this was announced is what the heck is an APU. So since you want to progress from a Padawan, Michael, tell me what is an APU? Oh, that's a great question, which of course I have the answer to. It is, um, it's a device, it's a piece of hardware that mm -hmm. is like a CPU, but mm -hmm. also not because it mm -hmm. also has a GPU on it and such. Mm -hmm. Now I, I know that, you know, when you talk about the, the onboard graphics we're typically referring to those anyway. So I don't know. What is it? <laughs> you weren't, it wasn't bad, Wendy. What'd you rate them like on that? Like maybe a four out of 10? Three five? Of 10? How about a five? I, I'd give him, I'd give him a five out of 10. Yes. A five out of 10? Mediocre. Explanation. Yeah. I mean, everybody's heard of GPUs. Those are those things nobody can get a hold of. So you, you kind of were right. Yeah, you and did. 
Well, that's true. I'm special, though. We, of course, know about CPUs because it's the brain behind everything your computer does. It tells every component in the computer what to do according to instructions given by the software. And as far as APUs go, well, it's really just a marketing term. AMD developed to describe their combination, which is where Michael's correct, of a CPU and a GPU. In fact, the name stands for AMD Accelerated Processing Unit. So when you see APU, it's kind of a marketing term. Those sly... The slick people, like I like it. I, I'm I'm a big fan of the marketing play, and if that that is something that a lot of people have promoted as like that's an important important distinction, and they knew that that would be successful, and it I think it has because it's now getting people asking this this question exactly what does it even mean? Yeah, well, wouldn't you be asking too? Like, wait a minute, Intel has graphics on their CPU, so what makes this different? And the reality is that AMD kind of has a new level here. In fact, this this whole technology of APU used to be called Fusion, and it's a CPU and GPU on a single die, whereas Intel's version, which they call the integrated HD graphics, is a GPU and CPU on the same processor. So this creates some very interesting differences between the two and what they're capable of. One being in the same die, obviously, they're going to be closer Things could be faster. There's going to be some impressive gain capabilities in there when it comes to graphics. But the CPU side of it's going to suffer a little bit. So it's perfect for a gaming device. It's perfect, in fact, why they put them in gaming consoles like PlayStation 5s and the new Xbox are all using the APUs. They're perfect for that. However, if you wanted to do just computer stuff, it really wouldn't give you the full capabilities of that CPU as much as, let's say, what Intel's doing with their integrated HD graphics. So one's hmm. not necessarily better than the other. They just kind of have a different purpose for what you would want to use them for. And of course, if you're talking about the Steam Deck, you're going to want to have an APU. I mean, it's the perfect combination, right? It's just the CPU is not going to be as performant as it would be if it was on its own. And of course, nothing beats a dedicated graphics card and a dedicated CPU. But APU fills this gap in the market for things like the Steam Deck, uh, which it's perfect for. So now you know. That I do know. That's awesome. So so let me let me see if I understand it in the Padawan style. So when you say the same processor, it's more of like a CPU acting as a GPU, or is it the the hardware is just on the same chip itself versus these the APU is two separate things but on the same component. So this accelerated processing unit by AMD can serve as the CPU and GPU, both at the same time, much like Intel's integrated graphics that they use. But the APU from AMD has that combination in a single die. And it's important to note it has HSA support. So this allows it to also utilize the same bus as well. So the same bus with shared memory and TAS is kind of one of the big differentiators between the two technologies. Although there's a lot of similarities, this is AMD spin on the formerly or more well-known Intel integrated graphics technology. And that gets you your APU. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, 
all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it's open source. You can self-host it, their security audits, and I absolutely love their file sharing feature. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you're going to want to help support this awesome open source project with just $10 a year for that premium account. What do you get with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Really, if you're like me, you will want to get that premium edition. And remember, it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about turning old into new and new looking old. This topic actually started when you sent me that link. When a guy used a sensor from a Raspberry Pi camera to turn his old film camera into a digital camera. And it was a super cool project. And so I had to start digging into this some more to see if there were other people doing the same thing. Now, most people can replicate the project using the Raspberry Pi board. It's really not that expensive, especially if you already have a old SLR body. One of the issues that he was running into with this is because this is a teeny tiny sensor for the Raspberry Pi camera, like one that you would find in your phone. So as it's sitting there using a lens for a full frame sensor, it's like this super zoom. So while it's really cool, it looks totally awesome. And it's neat that you can make this old camera into a digital camera, the practicality is not quite there because you can't take a picture of anything normally. It's like putting on a 500 millimeter lens. Yes, this thing would be massive and trying to take a picture of your kids with it. Now, when you say turn a old film camera into a digital camera, what exactly is it turning digital? He is using that sensor through the same area where the film would be if you snap that picture and that shutter opened so it would expose the film. That's where that sensor's sitting. So it's using that same space, essentially. And the way he had it rigged up was really cool so that the main body of this used the film canister holder to keep it all locked into place, which means that you could throw it into just about any SLR, which is one of the reasons why of the other things that I looked at, I really liked his design the most because it wasn't camera specific. I found another one on Indiegogo. It was supposed to be shipping last year, but because of all the craziness last year, that didn't happen And so now those devices are coming out this year. And basically, it is also taking that same idea of turning an old 
film camera going from analog to digital. The way this one works is you actually have a piece on the bottom of the camera that holds that sensor in. Most of them are specific to certain models of camera, which in a way, that's nice because they will come fitting absolutely exactly, though he does have an adapter so that you can put it on other cameras that aren't necessarily the ones that he's built these, as he calls them, I'm back 35, which is kind of funny. So you have this old analog camera. It is now back in action yeah. with this piece of hardware. It's really this interesting. This is quite amazing, right? To be able to take one of these cameras that a lot of people probably just left on their shelf, if not took them to their local Goodwill or something. And now you could turn it back into something that is up to date again. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't have the same capabilities if you went and bought a brand new digital camera, but it, it puts that camera back into action. And I'm, I would be certain you could do some pretty unique and cool effects with this little device. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of this. And I know we've talked about this on multiple shows on the network, being able to take older hardware that we thought was obsolete and giving it a whole new life. And this is one of those things that you can do that with. Now, if the original place that sparked this whole deep dive for me, if he had a larger sensor, then for him, it would be so much easier to use. I'm curious if, if Raspberry Pi will end up coming out with larger sensors, because if they did, it would make projects like this a heck of a lot more feasible at a lower cost, because it's just not feasible with the Raspberry Pi sensor at this time. But it looks like this is an idea that not only he has, but it's kind of growing. So if you could get your hands on a larger sensor, then it would be easier though. This project, the I'm Back project that is right now on Indiegogo is fully funded. I don't know how you're going to get them later, but I thought it was super cool. And it's even cooler because there are so many new cameras coming out right now that look like old cameras. Yeah, I just think this is one of the coolest things. Uh, we talked about the Raspberry Pi earlier in the show. We were talking about the fact that you'll need three or four of them because there's endless possibilities of what you can do with that device. This proves it once again, right? Being able to take a film camera and turn it digital. And you're right, the sensor may not be of a decent size today, but with the Raspberry Pi, anybody can go out there and create additional hats and software and components and things for this little device. So if this took off, and clearly there's a market for it because the one you're talking about, the on back raised $255,000 for this project. So there's clearly a market for it for somebody to create a more high-end sensor for the Raspberry Pi. And if you like to hack around with hardware, what a cool and fun project for the weekend. And it's just like you said, there's so many people that have these old camera bodies. I have several old film camera bodies that if I had a sensor like this or created one, it would put them right back to work. Not for anything commercial wise, but they would be a ton of fun to go play with. So you've told us how we can turn old things into new, which I'm very excited about. I wonder if the eBay market has caught on to this now because I can get an old film cut camera and just start playing with this. I won't. Was there auto mode in film cameras? Because I don't, I don't there leave auto mode. There is no auto mode in Darn. film cameras. One of the things that was standard across film was you couldn't turn, you couldn't change the ISO. 
that sensitivity level was built directly into the film. And that's where we get the term ISO was how sensitive the film was. And film, the more sensitive it became, had some of the same issues as the modern day digital sensors, though they're working some of that out. It would still be grainier. So yes, it would be more sensitive to light, but you'd definitely get a lot more noise and that kind of look to it. So how do we take something new and make it look old? It's just so funny to me that some of the newest cameras coming out, there is one by Nikon. It hasn't actually dropped yet, but it's getting to the hand of the reviewers. And this is their ZFC line. And if you look at this camera, especially with one of the lenses that they have out for it, it looks like an old camera body from the 70s or 80s. The lens has this old 80s look to it at the same time. It does. But it that is looks like absolutely... one of the ones I would find in my parents' uh, closet or something, an old yes, camera. Yeah. Absolutely. But it is packed with all kinds of new hardware on the inside. One of the most amazing things about this Nikon to me is the way that they have textured the back of that LCD display. So if the LCD display is turned all the way inside, so the screen is facing into the camera, it has that same texture on the body that it would all the way around if it was one of those old style cameras. But then you can flip that screen out. You can have it up, down to the side, pretty much anywhere you want it. It's fully articulating. Just absolutely crazy. This kind of proves that some of the older designs are just beautiful. Because honestly, even though, yes, immediately when I look at it, I would think this was some old picture of an old camera back in the day. But I look at it now knowing it's got all of the modern components inside of it and it it's still beautiful. Like it looks gorgeous. They are gorgeous. And I think all of the old cameras have this unique, beautiful look to them. It's one of the things that as camera bodies kind of modernized, they lost some of that beauty and that design that was part of the camera body itself. And some of that is coming back. And Nikon is jumping on this bandwagon a little bit late. This is where Fujifilm has made their mark. They were a big name when it came to film. They are making some incredible mirrorless cameras that look like old cameras. I love it. Absolutely love it. I want one, not necessarily because I need one, but it would be so neat to pull out this camera. Well, we would love for you to have this camera and tell us about it, but not until you get your Steam Deck. But after that, <laughs> feel free to order one of these and let us know how good it is. I see where your priorities lie. Exactly. No, I, I, I think this is awesome. And I would love to see what someone of, of your talent could do with a camera like this, because it looks like it's kind of that prosumer line. So it, yes. it starts at $9.59, which is a, even though that's a lot of money, that's kind of a prosumer style hobbyist camera pricing, because you know these cameras can go 6000 plus uh, in cost. Oh, yes. But it would be interesting to see if you could take this 900, and I assume you could, and do some photos that your few thousand dollar camera uh, would, it would be hard to tell the difference between the two, depending on the types of shots you're trying to pull off. Yeah, absolutely. And as long as you're putting quality glass in the front of it, you can do amazing things with these. The neatest thing would be to stand next to somebody who's using 
the latest and greatest iPhone to take a picture and you pull out this camera that looks like it's from the 80s and you're like, it's okay. I yeah. got it. I've got 4K video on this 80s camera. <laughs> exactly. Like, you think 4K is new? Please. We had 4K back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, 4K of a different kind, but absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. I, I love this theme of Camera Corner, turning old into new and new looking old again. And that's it. Our 41st episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on Destination Linux Network. Head right now. Stop what you're doing. Well, finish this and then stop what you're doing and go. Well, then no. Order the Steam Deck. Then stop this. Then go to destinationlinux.network to check out all the amazing podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another APU-style episode of Hardware Addicts, where we merge Wendy's great camera tips with Ryan's great hardware info on the same die. Plus, I'll be there, too, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're good, Michael. You asked a good question. Don't beat yourself up. That's amazing. In, in fact, I'm the Padawan and only. Padawan. Oh. <laughs> you know, he was a little light on the dad jokes this week, Wendy, so it makes yeah. sense. I had to. It was it was necessary. Right. I don't think I made any dad jokes, actually, until that no, one. you just did. So. But that's yeah. why I had to fix it. Okay.